Father, for your amazing grace that you saw just what we needed. We could not find it anywhere else but in Jesus, and you gave him to us. How thankful we are that your grace has the ability to look beyond our faults and to give us grace that covers the multitude of our sins. I pray that we will continue to honor you as we open up your word. Speak to us and help us understand how we can take the word, whether it's expressed through the message in song, or whether it's spoken during a sermon, or whether we read it from your word, that we would take your holy word today and it would have an effect and make our hearts holy before you as well. In the good name of Jesus we pray, amen. And amen. Well, to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, as we have spent the first few months of this year thinking about our identity as a family of faith here at First Baptist Church Milton, a, a church that belongs to Jesus. And, and we have six core values that undergird everything that we do as a church. And it just does us good from time to time to remind you of what those are and to, to, to help us to realize as well that, that these are our six practices or values that are not just for a church because at the end of the day, a church is nothing more than the sum of the people who attended or are a part of it who, or who are a member of it. And so these are practices that are good for all followers of Jesus as we seek to be who God has called us to be. And, and even though we seek to practice all six of these values and embrace them during the year, we are especially focusing this year on the values of sharing the gospel and serving our community and and we spent several weeks looking at those two values and and we've provided several opportunities for you to engage in those values and my goodness thank you so much to all of you who came out to help us implement the value of serving our community yesterday at Mission Milton well over a hundred of you showed up to help with that and I'm so thankful that God used you as his hands and feet and and there are other opportunities coming. I, I look forward to this time next Sunday once we got a few more details to iron out this week, uh, a couple of more permissions from our uh, county officials to get this week, but I look forward hopefully to sharing next Sunday with you a the, the next opportunity that we as a church will have to be the hands and feet of Jesus that will be the largest outreach First Baptist Milton has attempted in many, many years, and so I hope that you'll be a part of that as well. And so we've spent some time looking at those values. We've looked at the values of, of sharing the gospel, of serving our community. We looked at the value of prayer, and we're going to look today, we're going to focus on the value of the Bible. At First Baptist Church, we believe the Bible is important. That's like a duh statement for a church to make, isn't it? We believe that the Bible is important, and in fact, you were kind of introduced, you weren't kind of, you were, as Dr. Jackson filled the pulpit last Sunday, he did a wonderful job sharing with you from the Old Testament for the prophet Jeremiah of how we can be open to the Word of God, and, and I'm going to look at that same idea, but this time from the New Testament, from a parable that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 13. Let me ask you a question. 
have you ever attended a service like this? And when the amen was said at the end, you realized you didn't get anything out of the experience. It's okay to say yes. I just pray you get leprosy if you say yes. <laughs> Look, I'm the one preaching. There's been times I've left and gone, I didn't get nothing out of that. Or, or has there been a moment when you sat down to read God's word and and 10 minutes later, you're making a mental load, a note of the things that you need to get at the grocery store? Now think about it from this perspective. How can two people sit in the same church, even maybe on the same pew, read the same passage, hear the same sermon, Yet one of those people leaves having heard God speak to his or heart so clearly, while the other leaves feeling no closer to God than when he or she entered the building. Isn't that weird how that can happen? Well, this parable is going to help us understand how that can happen. And spoiler alert, it's nothing to do with the delivery or the content of the message or the messenger. Sometimes people ask me, does it ever discourage you if people don't respond? And I mean, I guess there's that moment or two, but ultimately I came to realization years ago that my style, my delivery, that has zero bearing on your response. I'm just the mailman. I'm just delivering the message. What you do with it, that's on you and that's on me what I do with it in my life. For you see, there are two variables at work when it comes to how the Word of God impacts your life. And those two variables are the content of Scripture and the condition of your heart. Those are the two things that matter. Now, the content of Scripture is settled. God has established that variable. The variable that you're responsible for is the condition of your heart as you receive God's Word, be it in a setting like this, or be it in a Bible study during the week, or be it in your private time, your private devotion with the Lord. The reason that two people can sit in the same building and one receives something and one not is because the condition of their hearts were different. The content of the truth is the same. It's the condition of our hearts. Let's look at what Jesus said, beginning in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. Jesus was a beach person. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. 
Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Let me stop just a second and say that that some listeners were so confused apparently that uh, they didn't understand. So the disciples asked Jesus, why don't you just come out and tell us what you mean? Why don't you just give us the plain meaning? And Jesus answered that question in verse 11. And in answering that question, he tells us something pretty important. Verse 11 Jesus answered them, to you, disciples, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, without the right relationship with God, to them, it has not been given. Look at what, think about what Jesus is teaching us here. Insight into the truth of God is a gift from God. No matter, listen, No matter how smart you are, you cannot understand God's truth. You cannot understand God's word without God's help. Okay, this is why when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus did not say, way to go, Peter. You're smarter than a fifth grader. No, Jesus said that flesh and blood, your intellect has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. You see, sin causes our heart to become so calloused and so dull and so darkened toward God that we cannot understand spiritual truth without God's help. That's why he says in verse 12, for to one, for to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now, don't miss what Jesus, what I think he's saying, is that what you do with the truth you already have determines whether God gives you more insight into his truth. And may I suggest that if we, our problem as followers of Jesus is not a lack of information. Our problem is that we don't do, we don't act on what we already know to be true. Our problem isn't that we we need to have some new revelation from God. No, we just need to walk in light of the truth that we already know. And Jesus says that, that what you do with truth will determine how much more of God's truth you're able to understand. So here's his point at the outset. Insight into God's truth isn't a matter of the head. It is a matter of the heart. The condition of your heart is much more a determining factor in your relationship with God's Word than the condition of your intellect. Or maybe allow me to state it this way. 
when it comes to the impact God's Word has in your life, the condition of your heart is more important than the intellect in your head. So if you try to encounter God's Word and you walk away from it every time saying, I just can't get anything out of it, that's not a problem with God. That's not a problem with the content of Scripture. That means there's a problem with your heart. This is the point of the parable Jesus is speaking. Therefore, we should spend much more time making sure our hearts are conditioned rather than our minds. That doesn't mean that intellect is not important when it comes to God's Word. It does mean it's not the most important. The condition of your heart is what matters most. Let me ask you. What then is the condition of your heart toward God? In this parable, Jesus explains four different kinds of soil, four different kinds of hearts, spiritual hearts that receive the Word of God. Let's mention them and then let's spend some time trying to figure out where we are and how we get to where we need to be. First, some people have a distracted heart. And what's wild about all four of these things I'm going to mention is that every single one of them is happening right now in this room. Some people in this room right now, some people have a distracted heart. The person who has a distracted heart might be interested in what the Word of God says, but they're not so interested that they're going to make God's Word their priority. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 18 and following, Jesus explains the parable. He says in verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what it was sown along the path. Those with distracted hearts will leave this place. You will, some of you here will do this today. You will leave this place and almost immediately <coughs> the evil one like a bird snatches away the thought of God's word by distracting you with something else that something else may not be a bad thing but it's something that takes your mind off of what God is saying to you at this moment I'll tell you this is happening in this room right now some of you are listening and thinking, this is kind of interesting. I haven't thought about it from this perspective. Yet as soon as we dismiss, the first thing on your mind when you walk out those doors is, where am I going to eat? That's, that's a distracted heart. The, 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 you start thinking, like, what, I mean, as soon as you get outside, what have I got to do for the rest of my day? Here's why it's so dangerous to have a distracted heart. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and if you don't, listen real closely. If you are in this room this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, 
Satan is not so much concerned about causing you to doubt God as he is to just get you distracted from God. Distraction sends more people to hell than doubt does. Because if the enemy can get you distracted, if the enemy can get your focus off of something just one day too late, that distraction is the difference between spending eternity with Jesus in heaven and spending eternity separated from Jesus in hell. That same principle applies to the fellowship that the child of God has with the Father. It's that the enemy would keep us too, uh, too distracted about things that aren't really that important. Distractions are just as dangerous as, as doubts. We must guard against them. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, there are people with distracted hearts. Number two, some people have a drifting heart. Some people have a drifting heart. That is, there are some people who hear the Word of God. They are initially moved by it. Maybe they even make a decision regarding it. But whatever decision is made doesn't last very long. And the slightest difficulty causes that heart to drift away from the Word. Jesus says in verse 20, As for what was <coughs> excuse me, sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. A heart that drifts from God's word belongs to a person who, when they respond, they're not really responding to God. Instead, they're responding to some kind of feeling that they have. The root's not going that deep. And when that feeling is gone, they drift away. In a previous church, that I pastored, the uh, music minister and I kind of had a, a running joke after a while because we noticed something. We noticed that if, for whatever reason, if it was an emotional song or if, it, if I told some illustration or if I used a real-life example that was uh, kind of emotional, if people cried, they came out and they said that was the best service. In fact, there were times that, that I would preach a sermon that was intentionally leaving out those emotional parts, and, and I saw the balding spots of many heads that Sunday from nodding down. But if we, 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 we said, you know, if, if we wanted to manipulate this, all we got to do is get emotional. That's all we have to do. That's why some of the largest churches in this world are about that thick that deep theologically because it appears it appeals to the emotions that doesn't get the root to go very deep you see the proof of faith isn't found in how emotional it is at the beginning the proof of faith is found by its endurance to the end 
Yes, it is true that once you're saved, you're always saved. There are lots of scriptures that teach us that once Christ has taken over your life, he will never let you go. But it's also true that one of the signs of saving faith is that such faith endures until the end. I don't want to downplay your emotions today. We are emotional people given to us by God, but also don't want you to base your relationship with God based upon your emotions or how you feel because let's face it some days I'll wake up and I say good morning Lord and some days I'll wake up and I say good Lord it's morning <laughs> some days I'll wake up and I feel close to God and some days I'll wake up and I don't and I have to go back and anchor myself in the assurance that my salvation is based upon an experience that I've had with God, an encounter I have had with him. And I anchor my faith in that so that my heart does not drift. But some people have a drifting heart. Number three, some people have a divided heart. They have a divided heart. There are people who hear the word of God. They believe the word of God is true. They even want to follow it, but other things divide that heart in different directions. Jesus said this in Matthew 13, 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. I'm going to give you the warning now that we're about to move from preaching to meddling, okay? And I give you that warning, and I intentionally am not pointing a finger towards you, but even if I accidentally were to have my finger going that way, I've got a few pointing back at me. Before, when someone preaches or teaches God's Word the right way, before it comes out of my mouth to you, it's already gotten into my heart and bothered me. So I've meddled, God's meddled with me a little bit on this as well about a divided heart because Jesus got pretty specific about the things that would divide the heart as those things choke out the word he said the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that is you're interested in what's being said today but as soon as you get out there You've got bills to pay, and you've got money to make, and so what God says, you would never discredit it, but it's just not that important. I mean, you, you love the weekends, and, and this, these are the great weekends the Lord's given us in the panhandle of Florida. You love the weekends because it's the only me time that you have. So you'll do something else habitually as a pattern repeatedly instead of placing yourself under the teaching of the Word of God for the Lord's day. You'll agree that what we're saying here today is important, but the moment you leave here, you're going to look down at your phones and you'll become consumed with whatever's going on in your text messages or Instagram stories or Facebook updates, and it will crowd out your allegiance to the Word of God. 
None of those things are bad in and of themselves, nor will any of those things send you to hell, but they will cause your heart to become divided, and the Word of God will get choked out of your life, and it has no impact. You see, it's rare that a person makes a conscious decision to outright reject God and His Word. But it's very common for God's Word to get crowded out by other things. Some people have this distracted heart, and some people have this, this drifting heart, and some people have this divided heart. And so far you're like, Pastor, come on, is there some better alternative? Yes, and here it is. Some people have a devoted heart. Finally, this is the kind of heart God wants us to have, a devoted heart. He mentions it in Matthew 13 and verse 23. And as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it. He indeed bears fruit. And, and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. Did you notice that in each of the four hearts, Jesus mentions that the seed is the same? The seed does not change. It's the soil that's different. It's the heart, the condition of the heart. So, what does a devoted heart look like? You ready? This is all these years of seminary training coming to this moment right now. The heart that is devoted doesn't look like the ones that aren't. Thank you. That's it. The heart that is devoted means this. We must make a daily conscience decision to not be distracted by other things that would keep God's word from being the priority. That's a devoted heart. A devoted heart means that we must make a daily conscious decision to not base our relationship with God on our emotions, but on an encounter with Him so that we do not drift. That's a devoted heart. A devoted heart means that we must make a daily conscious decision to make living for God's kingdom our priority, not for the things of this world. And as we make those decisions, we crucify our flesh. We become a living sacrifice to God, and our hearts are open. Our hearts become devoted to learn the truth about God and from his word. And the results are remarkable. They're not all the same, but they are remarkable. He indeed bears fruits and yields. Now what's interesting is that back in Bible times, the seed on average would yield eight times. You put one seed in, it would yield eight times for that one seed. Jesus uses different language here. He uses 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. In other words, it is noticeable. 
You can tell when God's word has taken root in a devoted heart. It shows up in our fruit. It shows up in how we treat people. It shows up in our generosity. It shows up in your excitement for worship. It shows up in your desire to tell people about Jesus. It shows up in your relationship with others. If you are a Christian, Nellie, if you're a Christian, Karen, apologies to people who are not like that. But if you have that mentality, if you are a Christian Eeyore, surely no one's named Eeyore here. If, if that is your disposition, that's not a heart that's open and devoted. But when God changes us, the person whose heart is devoted to God and his word is a person that God uses as his hand and his feet on this earth. So here's what, I, here's what I want to ask you to do today. I want you to ask the Lord to check up on your heart. You ain't got to go to a, a, a facility, a, a, a clinic, and there's no waiting. You ain't have to check in. He's got, he's got all your, your vital information that he needs. I'm asking you to get before God this morning and to ask God, Lord, will you reveal to me which kind of heart that I have? God, if I have a distracted heart today, would you show me what it is that's distracting me? God, if my heart is drifting, would you help me understand why it's drifting and and would you help me anchor myself in my encounter with you? God, would, would you show me if something is dividing my heart? Would you show me if, if something has crept in and if the cares of this world are more important than you? And God, would you move me then to have that heart of devotion? A devoted heart for you. I don't know what kind of heart you came in here with. I do know that it's not perfectly devoted. You know how I know that? Because you're living and breathing and you're a sinner that I am too. So I know that we have work to do. But the good news is, and you've heard me say this a few times from behind this pulpit, if you're not dead, God's not done. There is a work God will do in your heart today. So I ask you again simply, in just a minute, we're just going to be silent before God to give you the chance to communicate with God, to ask God to diagnose your heart. And then, would you do something with the diagnosis he gives? Whatever step that is, if that means that you need to go home today and get rid of a distraction. If that means you need to throw something away that's keeping you divided. If that means that you need to constantly remind yourself of your encounter with God to keep you from drifting. I don't know. But my challenge to you today is when the great physician diagnoses your heart, do something about it. The content of the message from God is fixed. It's the condition of our heart that he can work on 
today. You are not promised the rest of this day. You are promised just this moment. So whatever step you need to take, make that step count. Bow your head, if you will, right where you are, and for 30 seconds, just ask God, God, reveal to me the kind of heart I have and show me what I need to do to move toward having a devoted heart. Pray that prayer. Ask God for that in these next 30 seconds. Father, as we have offered up many prayers to you right here in this space, even standing behind this pulpit, I hear your spirit speaking to my heart that my problem is a divided heart. I trust that you have spoken to all of us today to help us understand the condition of our hearts before you because the condition of our heart is going to determine the impact your word has in us. So, Father, for me, would you help me to identify today the things in my life that are competing for attention that would take me away from you? And would you help me place those things off to the side so that the priority of my life would be your word? I don't know what step any person in this room needs to take other than it's a step towards you. But as we prepare for this time of commitment, Father, we're thankful that you've given us an altar and, and we pray for those who need to use that altar to pray that they would feel the freedom to do that. There may be some in this room today that the enemy has distracted them from making a commitment to you. It's not that they don't doubt your love for them, but they just have been distracted. They know that asking you to be their Lord and Savior to save them from their sins is something they should do. But the enemy's just distracting them. Today, Father, would you stop that distraction? And would you cause those who need to call upon your name for salvation to cry out right now, no distractions, but right now, confess their sins to you and ask you to save them. Whatever you're calling us to do, Father, may we simply say yes and have your will and way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand together, this altar is open for you to pray. Do whatever God's calling you to do. This